We've been looking at, you don't mind if I do that, do you? Okay. All right. Um, we've been looking at imagine a better way to live. We've been <clears throat> exploring the words of Jesus, particularly from uh, Matthew 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. Uh, last week we looked at the, the disciples who were in the boat in the storm. Jesus had been on shore praying. He comes to them on the water, and um, Peter walks across the water. And our focus was on Jesus, on his continuing need for solitude with the Father that we see throughout the Gospels, him going uh, to, to the Lord in prayer, and, and not just a four or five minute kind of <clears throat> uh, salute to God, but in, in this particular case, a, a, a long extended time of prayer with the Father. Jesus' need for that and our need for that. And, and then we looked at the pace of Jesus. But Jesus never gets in a hurry. Even in this particular case, he doesn't get in a hurry yet. He's always right on time. And then finally, his concern and love for the disciples and how that drives his action, his behavior, his life. And we looked at that in terms of how we might follow that in our lives. Today we're going to look at the disciples. Same story out of chapter 14 of Matthew. Cindy read it for you. We're going to look at the disciples, and in particular, we're going to look at their fear. Imagine a better way to live if we could really deal with our fears. Now, we all have fears, right? I mean... Um, if you don't have any fears, then you need to go to a psychologist. That just, uh, uh, we all do. And, and I'm going to talk about how fear is, uh, is, is, a, is a blessing from God in most cases. It's when fear gets out of control. Um, the question is, what do you fear? I, I found a kind of a humorous blog. <laughs> and, uh, this guy said... Uh, this was his admission of fear, and bless his heart, man, this guy's really got problems. He says, I fear clowns, criticism, crashing my bike, and car wrecks, bridges, bears, big buildings, and bull riding. I mean, I, you know, you can avoid bull riding. Um, snakes, shark attacks, screwing up, and smothering, judgment, jack-in-the-boxes, I wonder what's up with that, jerky people. I, I don't know. I, maybe it's clowns, you know, a little jack-in-the-box. Um, jet planes, just to name a few. We all have fears. Some are realistic and some are not. I did some research, and the psychological findings are that here are the biggest fears. Number one, without any close second, is fear of failure. Fear of failure. Um, it drives a lot of us in the way we live our lives. That's why people don't like to get up in front and talk in front of people. You know, what if they don't like me? Um, and I've, I've had that fear. You know? <laughs> um, number one, fear of failure, fear of rejection. Uh, two is spiders. I can relate to that. I can't stand spiders. Um, I... Um, that's why I don't walk under trees. 
that have low-hanging branches. That's why in the dark, if it's a narrow hallway, I'm checking to make sure there are no... You do that too? Do you do that? <laughs> okay. And if I see a spider, I just throw a shoe at it. You know, sometimes I break a lamp. You know, it's just a... Uh, spiders are just... I don't think they were a part of God's original creation. Um, number three is tight spaces, claustrophobia. Four is heights. I can relate to that, particularly if I get too close to the edge. Um, Speaking in public and then germs. Hmm. I found something else. I was looking through my prayer journal and I found a telling notation concerning fear. This is kind of my, my own confession. It's from a couple of years ago. What if my work isn't good enough? What if my good intentions are misunderstood? Or what if I miss something that is important? And what did I do about it? Well, the Bible deals with fear a lot. Lloyd Ogilvie, he's a biblical scholar and writer. He's written commentaries, New Testament scholar. He, ha- he writes a book, Facing the Future Without Fear. And in this book, he notes that there are 366 fear knots in the Bible. Now, that's a little bit of an exaggeration on his part. There's actually 144 direct fear knots, okay, from the divine to humans, okay? 144. There's some others between human beings. And there are another, it adds up to just under, just over 400 when you include all the passages that deal with fear and anxiety. That's pretty, that's pretty substantial. I think, I think God understands the struggle that we have with fear and anxiety. It is a challenge. But is fear really bad? Now, think about it for a moment. When we're scared, we slow down, become cautious, we pay attention. Fear has value. We shouldn't condemn fear per se. And fear is not a reason to be ashamed, but neither is it to be ignored. Fear, on the one hand, is a healthy emotional gift from God. It is a checkpoint. Fear out of control is debilitating, creating anxiety, eventually depression that can lead to all kinds of uh, (coughs) personal interrelational problems. So, for me, fear is the perfect time to pray. To pray Lord, is this thought true? Is it loving? Is it you? Is it helping me or hurting me? Is it saving my skin or stopping me from living my best life? Is this you or is this the enemy? For the enemy wants to pervert anything God means for our good. So fear can be distorted and disrupted as destructive. 
And that's exactly why we diligently <coughs> need to look at our fears, to learn where this is coming from, and to deal with it on a healthy basis. Because what does it look like with no fear at all? I mean, let's kind of imagine that person that has no fear at all, other than probably having a short lifespan. Um, they typically are egotistical, haughty, they have pride, arrogance, vanity, narcissism, self-indulgence. So this morning, as we imagine a better way to live, let's look at fear and work through some healthy ways to deal with it. For when fear paralyzes us and separates us from God and each other, the Bible says, fear not. Fear not. Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength, our redeemer. May these words be your words. For all that I misspeak, O oh God, may you correct it in our hearing. For all that I fail to speak, O oh God, may you fill in the gaps. Hide me behind the cross, O oh God. We seek, we long for your word. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus had finished praying, and in verse 26, he comes to the disciples. There's a storm raging. They've been struggling all night long. It's about somewhere between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. And Matthew tells us that the disciples are terrified. And they think Jesus is a ghost. They think Jesus is a ghost. And when we look at the Greek there and the, the, the way that it's worded, it's not clear whether... They are terrified from the storm, and they don't rec therefore they don't recognize Jesus, and their fear is multiplied because this person is coming across the water, or whether they're just afraid of Jesus, thinking him to be a ghost. The problem that the disciples have here I mean, if we really dig down into it, the problem that they have is that they weren't looking for Jesus in the first place. That's the problem. If they had been looking for Jesus, they would not have mistaken him to be a ghost. They would have recognized him, for goodness sakes. I mean, these disciples had just experienced the power and the authority of Jesus. He had healed the sick. He had... He had gone up against the Pharisees in arguments and, and basically put them in their place. He had fed 5,000 men with their families. He had, <laughs> he had shown his power and his concern and love for them. They're in trouble. Why weren't they looking for Jesus? You know, the first thing for me in dealing with, with fear is to look for our Lord. Where is God in this? What, what, what is God trying to show me? What is, 
what is God trying to teach me? Not that God brings bad situations to us, but God does not waste any situation to speak to us, to work with us, to bless us. Where is God in this? And what does God have for me? The first step in dealing with fear is to look for our Lord. For you see, fear is an alert. It's like a flashing light that says, pay attention. Pay attention. Something's coming. It's Peter that, <laughs> yeah, and, and if we just kind of read this, we miss some of the implications. And I don't know whether Matthew is being a little glib here or what the deal is, but he says, Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, if it's you, for goodness sakes, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. <laughs> you know, the second thing in dealing with our fear is to listen to our Lord. To listen. To be looking. To be in anticipation. But then to listen. To hear. Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus just simply said, come. He invites him. You know, fear is a cue to stop and to listen for Jesus' directions. Where is God directing us? Are we to stop, withdraw, or proceed? Where is God leading us? What is God's presence in this? And as we venture out in faith, we can be assured that he is with us. You know, that's the greatest promise of the scriptures is that we are not alone. We, are, we do not live in isolation. The creator of the universe, the one who has authority to quiet the seas, to raise the dead, to heal the sick, is with us. And will not desert us. To look and to listen. Max Lucado, um, in, in one of his books, he imagines what would it look like if one of the disciples was journaling, okay, and the morning after this walking on water, the quiet of the storms, what would that disciple have written in their journal? This is what Max Lucado imagined. I had never seen Jesus as I saw him then. I had seen him powerful. I had seen him as wise. I had witnessed his authority and marveled at his abilities. But what I witnessed last night, I know I'll never forget. I saw God, the God who can, can't sit still when the storm is too strong. The God who lets me get frightened enough to need him and then comes close enough for me to see him. The God who uses my storms as his path to come to me. Did you hear that? The God who uses my storms as a path to come to me. 
I saw God. It took a storm for me to see him, but I saw him, and I'll never be the same. Listen. And then obey. Act. So Peter got out of the boat. Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. He got out of the boat. I was at annual conference several years ago, and there was a popular book at that time. You know what the book is? If, you, if you're going to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. It's actually not a very good book at all, but the title is great, you know. And I, I bought the book and read it. I can't remember one word that it said, but I remember the title. Because the title is true. If you're going to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. If you've got to be a person of faith, you've got to hear the call of our Lord and respond. Peter got out of the boat. He was willing to act. And, you know, it was kind of an extraordinary act for Peter to get out of the boat. That was a human action. But Jesus takes it and makes it divine. He gives him the ability to take those first few tentative steps. Now, you know, Peter gets consumed by the wind and the waves, by the storm, by the problem, by the fears that he had had before Jesus came. He was able to take a few steps forward and then begins to see. And what does Jesus do? He grabs him by the hand. He does not give up on us. He will not let us go. And, you know, Peter, you know, when Peter started out, his faith was incomplete. As he grew, as he experienced Jesus, he gets stronger in his faith, and so are we. And so there's going to be moments when we sink in the storm. But look for the hand. Because Jesus is always there and will not let us go. So we can act. We can respond with confidence. For he will provide for us. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, but I, I am afraid that sometimes my faith... It's kind of like a, a real fancy sports car, you know. Any of you have a real fancy sports car? Okay, now I want to ask the teenagers this question. If you had a Mustang 5.0 convertible, all right, the most beautiful car from all of your friends, would you drive it to school if you had a driver's license? Any of you would not drive it to school? Anybody? Okay. Anybody else, if you had a Mustang, Ford Mustang 5.0 convertible, would you not drive it to work? That's just crazy, right? Okay. I had a preacher friend uh, several years ago, and his, his mother died. He inherited this big, huge estate, and part of the estate was 
his, his mother-in-law had this big, expensive car. Well, he was afraid that if his church members saw him driving this car, that he'd get in trouble. So he parked it in his garage and never drove it. I'm, I said to him, I said, Ralph, sell the car. You know, oh, I can't sell it. I mean, I really love it. I said, well, when do you drive it? Well, I'll sneak out on Saturdays. <laughs> we do the same thing with our faith. We drive it to church on Sunday. We might drive it a few times a week. But are we driving it to school, to work, to places where it matters most? Just as a Mustang 5.0 is one of the most powerful cars out on the road, so our faith has power in our living. And Jesus is waiting on us to start up the engine of our faith and drive it everywhere we go. Everywhere we go. In every situation. In every way. So may God take our fear and do something divine. Look for the Lord who is coming. Listen to the Lord who is before us and respond and act upon his call. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Lay all your anxieties on the Lord. He cares for you. So as we lay our fears upon the Lord, we are free to live. It takes the action of faith to see our fears for what they are as an alarm, as a nudge, as a, uh, as, a, as a reminder to look up, to slow down, to pay attention. Sometimes it is cause for a pause, a prayer, a humbling of our hearts, but always a seeking of God's will. A seeking of God's will. Psalm 56 is a prayer of David. The history behind Psalm 56 that uh, Cindy read part of that passage, part of that psalm for you, is that David has been captured by the Philistines. Okay? He is under threat of torture and death. That's typically what you would do with a king that you had captured, you know. Um, and so David, history tells us and believes that David is scared to death. He not only fears for his life, but wonders whether he is going to be able to withstand the torture that is coming his way. And so he prays. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. We will be afraid. We will be. I had a kid. Um, I used to take youth groups on ski trips, and this kid was, he called himself fearless. He went down a black diamond and ran into a tree and broke his collarbone. And uh, I got down to the bottom, went to the, went to the uh, emergency room, 
to find out what's going on, and he said to me, tell everybody that I wasn't afraid of that black diamond. And I told him, you needed to be scared. You, you should be dead. So fear will come. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? What fear is trying to take hold of you right now? As we close, pray this simple prayer with me. What trouble or threat are you facing? Just bring it to mind. It's okay. And then pray with David. When I am afraid of blank. You may want to close your eyes. When I am afraid of whatever it is, an illness, a job situation, a, um, a situation at home, in the neighborhood, at school, at work, when I am afraid of, I will trust in you, O oh Lord. When I am afraid of, I will trust in you, O oh Lord. A time to pause. A time to look inward. An invitation to stop and seek the Lord's way forward. A time to answer the call of Jesus to come. I will trust in you, O oh Lord. I will trust in you.